Now, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to, the, to today's text, which is found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it, on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Laura. This is the white-haired, lovely, brown-skinned gentleman I referenced earlier. And I want to introduce to you George Chavani Kamenel. He is a missionary in his own country. He is the founder and director of Good News for India. And you might wonder how we connected. Well, about 10 years ago, I was looking in my office at an Unreached People Group's map, and the Unreached People Groups were in red. And there was a certain part of the map that just glowed. It looked like Rudolph's red nose. And it was North India. And I thought, we don't have a partnership there. We need to be doing something in North India. But what? There's so many people there, so many ministries. And God led us together. We had a meeting and I discovered that George's vision was the exact same as ours, to plant churches among unreached people groups in North India. So we entered into a partnership with George, a partnership that has become so close that now we even share each other's clothes. (laughs) And uh, let me just for a moment apologize to you Indians on behalf of the British who taught you that the way to get dressed up was to tie a piece of cloth around your neck and choke yourself with it, (laughs) and then to put on a jacket in 120 degree weather. But thank you for sharing with us your wonderful tradition of wearing your pajamas in public. (laughs) Not so sure about the shoes, but the pajamas are great. But we we have a wonderful relationship. Our partnership is something that goes both ways. And I think, Uncle, what we give to the partnership is hopefully some encouragement to you by our presence. We try to send a team every year. We pray for you regularly, both individually and in a monthly prayer time. And then we also give financial support as God enables us to do that. But what you might not realize is that you actually give more to us than we give to you in this partnership. And teams always come back saying, wow, I am a different person. And why is that? Because when we go to India, we see people with a sincere, pure, simple faith. We see people who are sacrificing, who are living on the edge because of their commitment to Christ, and who are willing even to lay down their lives to advance the gospel. And that warms our hearts, it challenges us, and it encourages us in our faith. So thank you for sharing the faith of the Indian church with us. We took in 2007 a Christmas offering for Good News for India. With that, we helped to finish a school, we built a training center, and we also provided funds for the seminary that produces missionaries and pastors for that part of the world. And things worked out so well with that offering. The needs are still so great that here is the official announcement. The 2014 Christmas offering is going to be for good news for India. We're going to give you more details about that in the weeks ahead, essentially to help this ministry build more schools in North India so the gospel can spread through that region. And Uncle will be sharing more about that in his message today. Christmas offering will be December 21st. We'd encourage you to begin to pray and get ready for that opportunity. We call him uncle because in India that's a term of respect and also of affection. 
We love you, Uncle, and we are so glad that you're here to share God's word with us this morning. Welcome to College Park Church. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Pastor Nate, for your kind words of introduction. Thank you, College Park, for your partnership in the gospel in North India. We are grateful to you. Your help in 2007 enabled us to start a new training center, particularly focused on one of the largest unreached people groups in India called the Yadav people. And that center is up and running. And as a result of that, and as a result of the ministry of our theological seminary in North India, we have now a number of churches among the Yadav people. For God's glory, I want to say thank you to you, and thank you for continuing to stand with us and help us. I'm delighted that I have another opportunity to come and share God's word with you. I have had the opportunity of doing that here in the past. Some of you have heard me before, but for many of you, I am new. And to those new people, I always introduce myself by saying I'm a real Indian. You know why I say that? Because you call the native peoples of this continent Indians. How many know how they got that name? Well, several of you. But some of you are not lifting your hands, so I assume you don't know. (laughs) So that gives me an opportunity to tell you. This is true history, not made up true history. Europe had trade with India. How many know India is mentioned in the Bible by name? Well, eat your heart out, USA. (laughs) Yes, India is mentioned by name in the book of Esther. If you doubt me, go and check me out. See, Europe had trade with, Solomon had trade with India. And Europe had trade with India, and uh, India, of course, is an ancient country. And but, but in those days, they had to sail down Atlantic Ocean all the way down to the Cape of Good Hope, and then up the Indian Ocean. It was a long way. When Columbus understood that the world is around, he said, "Okay, I'll sail west. I'll get to India." He had no idea that there was a whole continent in between. Uh, he accidentally bumped into America. America needs to be thankful for India. (laughs) If it weren't for India, who knows? America may not be discovered yet. (laughs) And he met the people there, and he actually thought he reached India, and he called them Indians. 500 years later, we are still making the same mistake by calling them Indians. I said this story in a church in Phoenix a number of years ago, and as soon as I said this, a young lady stood up, and I looked at her, and I could tell she was Native American. So I thought maybe I offended her or something. But she had this beautiful smile, and she lifted her hands up to the heaven and shouted at the top of her voice, Praise the Lord! I'm so thankful that he was not looking for Turkey. really happened. I'm not making it up. It's a real story. (laughs) And at the end of the service, I met her and we became friends. And she told me that's a common joke among Native Americans. 
Thank God Columbus was not looking for Turkey. <laughs> so I'm a real Indian. Um, not only am I a real Indian, I'm a South Indian. I was born and raised in uh, the southern tip of India, so I can claim to be a southerner, though, that, though this is the wrong part of the city or the country to say that. Uh, but we work in northern India, and we are grateful to you for your partnership because North India is home to the largest number of unreached people groups in the world. I'll talk about that in the message. Our text is from Second Peter chapter 3, 10 to 13. It has already been read, and I, I'm sure you're familiar with the passage. I read it from uh, NIV. Here we read in 3.10, Second Peter 3.10, these words, But the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord will come. Amen? Amen. Are you ready? The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then Peter, an uneducated fisherman, writes these words 2,000 years ago. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. NIV translation. Elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Don't you believe it when some people tell you diamonds are forever? (laughs) They're not. Nothing we see is forever. Scripture says earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Are you ready? There was a time science thought this was foolishness. Elements will never be destroyed. Matter is indestructible, the science thought for a long time. But no longer. No longer. We now know matter is destructible. Question is, are you ready? Peter goes on to write in 3.11, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, He asked three questions. What kind of people ought you to be? What kind of people ought you to be? Number one, he says, you ought to live holy and godly lives. You ought to. Am I living a holy and godly life? Are you? Number two, we ought to look forward to the day of God. Is there a longing in our hearts for the day of the Lord to come? Or do we love this world so much? We love love golf so much. Or we love Indianapolis Colts so much. Is that the name of the team, right? Oh, preacher, finish quickly. I have to go watch the game. (laughs) Do we have a longing in our hearts for the day of the Lord? Number three. For a long time, I thought this is a strange thing that Peter is saying. Number three, he says, hasten the coming. Speed the coming of the day of the Lord. How in the world can we frail human beings speed, hasten 
the coming of the day of the Lord. And that's our topic. But before we get there, I want to ask you the question, are you ready for the day? If the Lord does not come for the whole church today, he might come for you today. Did you hear me? If you buy a toaster, it has a guarantee. But your life has no guarantee. Are you ready? Am I ready? Because I repeat myself again. He might not come for the whole church today. But he might come for me today. He might come for you today. We heard about a brother for whom the Lord came yesterday. Question is, are you ready? Peter says we must live a holy and godly life. As if he might come. Before the service is over today. Oh how I wish he would come. Honestly. How I wish. I would rather not go back to Daradun. I would rather go to be home with him. And I'm sincere in saying that. I'm not saying that in some kind of a pretended piety. I'm honest. And I hope every single one of us is ready for him. And before we get to our main topic, I want to ask another question. How can we be sure that there is going to be a day of the Lord? How can we be sure that the Lord is coming back? And there are a lot of scoffers, there are a lot of unbelievers who say, Oh, you Christians have been saying this for 2,000 years. This ain't going to happen. You have heard them. You faced them. Is there any way we can say for sure that he is going to come back? I believe there are. And if I had time, I will take a long time and expound on it. But let me give you just one point. His first coming, which happened 2,000 years ago, was in fulfillment of hundreds of prophecies written centuries before he came. I always put it like this, and I hope you can understand my English. The biography of the Lord Jesus Christ was written centuries before he was born. Did you hear me? There is no other human being who can say this about himself. Mahatma Gandhi, the father of our nation, the George Washington of India, was a great man. But nobody knew about him before he was born and before he became famous. George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, great men, other many, many great men and women who lived, but none was known before he or she was born. But the biography of the Lord Jesus, oh, somebody might say, you Christians wrote something and you are saying... No, I'm not talking about Christian books. I'm talking about the Jewish religious books. All of us know the books we carry, what we call the Old Testament, is not ours. I'm not saying anything heretical. Some of you are looking at me as if I'm saying something heretical. (laughs) No, they're Jewish books. 
And in those books, written centuries before he was born, his biography is written in detail, not in some vague uh, terms, but in detail. Micah 5.2, six centuries before it happened, predicted where he would be born. Isaiah 7.14, 700 plus years before he was born, predicted that he would be born as the son of a virgin. Zechariah 9, another prophet who lived in 6th century BC said that he will ride on a donkey and enter into the city. That same prophet said he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. That same prophet said that he will be pierced by his own people. And his own people who pierced him will look to him one day. Oh, then Psalm 22. Have you read Psalm 22 lately? If you haven't, would you go home and read it? Spurgeon, the prince of preacher, describes Psalm 22 like this. The photograph of Mount Calvary. That's what Spurgeon called it. The photograph of Mount Calvary. But when was Psalm 22 written? King David, who lived a thousand years before Jesus' time. Oh, somebody might say King David was walking down the street and he saw somebody hanging on the cross and came home and wrote a poem about it. Impossible. Because crucifixion was unknown during David's time. Crucifixion was invented by the Phoenicians 300 years after David's time. And then, of course, it was perfected by Romans. David never saw anyone crucified in his life. With that information, go home and read Psalm 22 and see the amazing description of crucifixion in that psalm. Written a thousand years before it happened. Look at Verse 1 and 7 and 18 and 16 and 17 and 18. The Romans were the ones who invented the practice of taking the clothes of the criminal who was hung. Usually they would just divide it up among the host executed the crucified person. That was a common practice. But when it came to the garment of Jesus, there was a dilemma. It was woven in one piece. They didn't want to tear it. So what did they do? They cast lots for it. An event that David foresaw a thousand years before it happened. Can you show me any other person, any time in history, about whom such prophecies exist? You will not. Many are great, but none is like my Lord Jesus. When Mahatma Gandhi was assassinated by a fanatical Hindu by the name Nathuram Godse, and his body was laying in state in New Delhi. One of our famous poetess stood before his body and sang like this. Sarojini Naidu is her name. She said, Oh Mahatma, I have heard that Christ rose again from the dead. Why don't you rise again? Mahatma was a great man, but he was a man. My Jesus is not just a man. He is Lord God who became flesh for you and I. He alone rose again from the dead. Do you know him? Do you know him? Oh yes, you're born in a Christian home. You have a Christian name. That's not what I am asking. I'm asking, do you know him today? If you don't, please don't go out of this sanctuary Without knowing him, without opening your heart to him, without becoming ready for the day of the Lord. Please. 
Because we don't know when our end will come. And when it comes, all of us will have to give an account for our life. And only those who trust in the Lord Jesus, my Bible says, will be able to stand before. The same scriptures that portrayed his life predict his second coming. The same Zechariah in one, in chapter 14. And Joel in chapter 1, and Malachi in chapter 4, and Daniel in chapter 7, and scores of other scriptures written centuries before Jesus was born, predict that he is going to come back, and he is coming back. Are you ready? If not, get ready today. Oh, how I wish he would come before I finish this sermon. Honestly, how I wish. But it is up to him. But Peter says there is something you and I can do to hasten his coming. Isn't that strange? The word Peter uses in that passage is the word from which we get our English word speed. English word speed comes from this Greek word used there, speudo, which means cause to happen soon. Cause to happen soon. You and I can do something to cause this day to happen soon. How can we cause that? I believe one of the answers is found in Matthew 24, 14, in the words of our Lord Jesus himself. I had the privilege of studying under a great New Testament scholar by the name George Eldon Ladd. And Dr. Ladd often used to tell us in our New Testament classes, don't go out and buy books to find out when the Lord is coming. He has told us that. He has told us clearly in Matthew 24, 14, which says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Well, Uncle George, isn't it done? Some people ask me. Because some believe gospel is preached all around the world. and But we need to take three words seriously in this text. Quickly, three words. The whole world. The whole world. The whole inhabited earth is the meaning of that particular word. Number two, testimony or witness. Testimony or proof. From which word we get the English word martyr. So it is referring to the one whose witness or attestation ultimately leads to death. It's not some kind of a casual preaching. It is a preaching in which people understand the gospel. And number three is the word nations. Nations. Unfortunately misunderstood in English. When Bible was originally translated into English... It meant what the Bible meant. But today it doesn't mean what the Bible means. Soon as we say nations, we think of countries. We say the nation of the United States of America, nation of Canada, nation of India. But that's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus says. To understand what Jesus meant, we just need to look at the word that is in the text, which is the Greek word E-T-H-N-A, Athena. Plural, all of you know that word, because from which we get the word, ethnic. Singular is ethnos, plural is ethna. No exception to this rule in the New Testament. Everywhere the word nation is found in the English translation, it is either ethnos or ethna. 
Jesus was saying, this gospel of the kingdom must be preached in the whole world as a testimony, as a witness to all ethnic groups. How many are there? How many are, this is one country, how many are here? At least two. (laughs) But a lot more than two, I know. Right? In my land of India, are you ready for this? In my land of India alone... 4,692. I know for some of you, we all look the same. It's okay, we pardon you, because when I first came to America, guess what? Thank you for laughing at my silly jokes. 4,006. I hope all of you will stop by and see those panels, 17 of them, listing all the unreached People groups of the world, 7,000 plus out there in the panel. And if you look carefully, five panels devoted to India. And then one next to it devoted to our neighbor, Pakistan. So six panels out of 17 in the Indian subcontinent. How can we hasten the coming of the day of the Lord? By doing all we can to take gospel to every remaining ethnic groups. And that's the call that the Lord gave us a number of years ago. My wife and I were settled in California and the Lord called us to go back to North India. I'm a foreigner in North India. This is foreign clothes. I didn't wear this when I grew up. This is foreign clothes for me. But the Lord called us there because if brothers will put up a couple maps taken from Operation World. Are you familiar with Operation World? How many are familiar with Operation World? Oh, many hands. If you're not familiar, you need to get a copy of Operation World. It's a book. You can buy it for 10 or $12 on Amazon or wherever. And it will help you to pray through the world. It will take a month to pray through India. Look at the unevangelized population of the world represented by the black dots. Look at the largest concentration of black dots where they are. Look at that. It's in North India. Look at the next map. This time it is represented by circles. The largest circle represents 150 to 434 million people that are unreached. Look at the largest number of circles where they are. It's in North India. I'm not saying the other places are not important, but our primary call is to North India. And you are partnering with us to help us to reach. And we are so very grateful. Since 2007, you have helped us. Began with a particular people group called Yadav. And with your help, as already mentioned, we were able to build a training center and focus training Indian nationals to reach this people group. Because in 1975, India banned the entry of foreign missionaries into India. Since 1975, you cannot enter into India as a missionary. Political reasons, no time to talk about that. But by God's grace, since then, the church in India began to awaken. awaken. And hundreds and hundreds of young men and women are coming forward to become cross-cultural missionaries. And our theological seminary in North India is training some of them. And we are sending them to these unreached people groups. And by God's grace, we have been able to plan hundreds of churches. 
but in a land of 1.25 billion people. Did you hear me? That's how many people are in India. Soon to overtake China and become the largest country in the world. We have a lot of people. And a lot of them still waiting to hear the gospel. Over a hundred languages still without any scripture translated into them. How can we hasten? When we bring the word of God into a new language. Because according to Revelations, when the Lord comes for his church, every tribe must be there. Every language must be there. Every ethnos must be there. Because he died for all of them. He loves all of them. So when we touch a new ethna, ethnos, a new ethnic group, a new language, a new tribe with the gospel, we are hastening his coming and you are helping us. One of the ways in which we do it is, we not only preach the gospel and plant churches, we want to serve the people in the name of Jesus. Because the Lord wants us to serve people. And one of the desperate needs in North India, particularly among the backward communities, is for good schools. So the Lord enabled us, good news for India, to start schools. You will see some pictures of schools and school children. We explicitly make it known that it is Christian school. We publicize it. We don't hide it. And we say, only if you don't object us teaching children about Jesus and the Bible, send your children. We open every day by prayer, as you saw in the earlier picture. Every child learns the Lord's Prayer. Every child learns Christian songs. Only if the parents don't object, we will admit them. Because our primary purpose is to make sure they know Jesus. And by God's grace, through these schools, which have explicit Christian names... We have been able to penetrate a number of communities. As I already told you, through your help, we were able to plant a number of churches among Yadavs, one of the major people groups of India. In northern Bihar, which is one of the backward parts of India, you may have heard the name Bihar. If you know anything about missions, Bihar is notorious as the graveyard of missionaries. Many Western missionaries died in Bihar without seeing any result. But today, people are responding to the gospel. And we have now a number of churches in North Bihar. And as a result, believers came to Christ, and their children are going to... Only Hindu schools are there. Even government schools, run by government, school, government, even those schools open by worshipping the goddess of education. Saraswati. In Hinduism, there are many, many, many gods, as you know. Saraswati is the goddess of education. So there, even government schools open by a worship of Saraswati's idol. And when these Christian children refused to worship them, they were expelled from school. We have a large number of children now who are unable to go to school because they refuse to worship these idols. So that burdened our heart very much and we shared that with Pastor Nate and others. And we have been praying that we will be able to start a Christian school in this area. Not just to serve Christians, but to serve all community. We must show that love of Christ to all. And you're going to help us for that. And we are so very grateful for that. Thank you for doing that. Pray for this need. We have many obstacles before us. But we are praying that God will enable us to do that as soon as possible. So we must, number one, lead a holy and godly life. 
Number two, we must look forward to the day of the Lord. Number three, we must hasten the day of the Lord. How can we hasten the day of the Lord? Number one, by praying. By praying that He would come. As the Lord taught us to pray, Lord, let thy kingdom come. That beautiful short prayer. The first three priorities in that prayer. Have you noticed those priorities? Have you noticed that? I often challenge my students in the seminary by this question. Suppose somebody secretly tape records you, your prayer. Tape records. See, that dates me, right? Tape record. <laughs> somebody secretly tape records your prayer. And ta- secretly tape records the prayer of our next door neighbor, which is a Buddhist monastery. Where they are training Buddhist monks. So, t- secretly tape record your prayer. Secretly tape record the prayer of the Buddhist monk who are being trained. Or a Hindu neighbor. And delete the names of the God and all the particular words that will uh, betray whose prayer it is. Are you following me? Am I speaking complicated thing? And play it back. Will there be any difference between your prayer and their prayer? I want to ask you that question. What do we pray for? Lord, give me a BMW. (laughs) Nothing wrong with BMW. I like good cars. But what do we pray for most? Look at that little prayer the Lord taught us. How does it begin? Our Father who art in heaven, give me a good job. (laughs) Nothing wrong with good jobs. Wonderful. Our Father who art in heaven, help me to build a nice house. Are you with me? How did he teach us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What is second? Oh, I thought maybe number two I can say, help me to have a good round of golf. <laughs> What's number three? Oh, oh, not even there. Are you following me? You see, we have to be different. Our prayer life has to be different. Jesus said that so many times. Our our priority, number one, number two, number three. All Him. All Him. His name, His kingdom, His will. And then comes, give us this day our daily bread. And then what is next? Did you notice that? Interpersonal relationship. Forgive our debts. As we forgive. Oh, how many of us will be able to stand before the Lord? As I forgive. Oh, I better close. My time is up.
Pray. Pray. Pray like Christ taught us to pray. Not like others pray. We are not to be self-centered people. We are to be God-centered people. A Christian's maturity can be measured by the way he or she prays. Number two. Obey the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19, he told us, Go and make disciples of all nations. All. Jati. That's the Indian translation. Excellent translation. Jati. You don't know that word jati, so I have to use the word ethnic groups. Number three. Let's hasten the day by sending missionaries. Training them. Romans 10, 14 and 15. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? I close by asking you the question again. Are you ready for the day? I hope every single one of you is. If you are not, before you go out, please make sure you are ready. And are you doing everything you can to hasten the day? Are you praying for the kingdom to come in Indianapolis, in the United States, in India? Are you doing everything you can? Thank you for listening to me. May I pray for you. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters and for the word that has been preached. Lord, I pray that this word will become a source of blessing to everyone who is heard, who has heard. If there is anyone here who is not ready for the day, Lord, help them, O Lord, to open their hearts and minds to you today. May they not go out of this sanctuary without making sure that their relationship with Christ is right. And those of us who have that conviction, may we be a people who obey your commandments to hasten the day. Thank you for speaking to us. I pray a blessing upon everyone who heard. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.